Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Valley Transportation. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 or go to valleytransinc.com for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. This podcast is also brought to you by AgDirect. No matter how you buy your ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving Iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. If you're interested in getting a free Axon Tire desk pad, which is similar to the mouse pad that you got uh, last month, this um, desk pad is the uh, same metric conversions, but it's big enough to put on your desk, and it's like one giant mouse pad. So have a giant mouse pad plus two. You got three mouse pads, Sean. That's what you got there, buddy. So if you're interested in doing that, that's right. If you're interested in doing that, send an email to marketing at axontire.com with all your pertinent details, and they'll send it to you in the mail. So, again, just go to marketing at axontire.com, and you'll get one of those in the mail. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs at Valley Transportation. Our goal is to help you reach yours. And no matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's IronComp is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. Sean Hackett is with... Bo- well, you're not with Boca Raton, Florida. You're from Boca Raton, Florida, and you're with Hackett Financial. So, Sean, how are you doing this morning, man? <laughs> I'm doing a fresh, uh, fresh back from uh, Indiana. So, no, there you go, Indiana. So how was that? You're up there speaking to uh, fertilizer, some fertilizer I, stuff, right? I was. We were talking La Nina, El Nino, cryptocurrency is a new monetary asset, Gleisberg cycle, mm-hmm. uh, really good stuff, and a lot of that stuff obviously will be. Uh, speaking with bated breath at your summit coming up here in a few weeks. Right so. And oddly enough, we're going to talk about fertilizer today. What are the odds there, Sean? Look at that. I, I, I'm, I'm growing in anticipation. It's like synergy. <laughs> it's like we're on the same page almost. <laughs> All right. So fertilizer is a big thing. You know, fertilizer is what makes the, uh, the world uh, grow food and what have you all around the world. And certain crops require more fertilizer than others. Uh, I did not know this until we started talking about this, that the amount of fertilizer that's needed to grow rice. And I always thought corn was the most fertilizer-intense crop on the planet, but it it pales in comparison, right, Sean? So we've seen this huge spike up in natural gas, which is a key component 
in fertilizer across the world. Um, the United States obviously isn't nearly as affected by that price as, as the rest of the world is. We're still, you know, it's here's here's my quotation marks. It's high here, right? But it's 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 nothing like it is in Europe and Asia. I mean, where it's just off just off the charts, thirty you know four or five times what it is here in the United States. Um, you look at countries like uh, Sri Lanka where they decided not to use fertilizer, and look what happened there. You know, they, their food production was next to none. Countries in Asia where they can't afford to have high-priced fertilizer, they're not seeing those kind of crop mixes going into play there. So I guess, Sean, as you're looking at this this world fertilizer um, kind of uh, situation that we're in, I, I mean, I guess, you know, the U.S., we're going to have fertilizer we're going to grow. We, we produce... I can't remember the exact number, but it's a, like 85 or 90% of what we use domestically is is uh, produced here in the United States. We import some of that in um, from other parts of the world, so it's not a, as big a deal to us. But when you start looking at you know rice production around the world, I guess how, how does this fertilizer situation we see now, because it's obviously not going to get any better in 23, right? I don't see that well, happening, I guess. So yeah. what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, well, I mean, beyond the weather volatility, which is what we always try to focus on and sure. how that's going to impact production, you know, we have this situation where the natural gas arbitrage price between the U.S. and what's overseas, you know, Asia and Europe have been experiencing $30, 40 $50 for LNG where, you know, we're at, you know, 7 and 8 which, you know, in our standards is high, but relative to... <laughs> What they've yeah. been experiencing for the last several years, and, and and hence why you can see why fertilizer is so much more expensive over there uh, than it is over here, just because the initial input for at least nitrogen fertilizer is so much higher, and we have a huge cost advantage. Now, the other issue is that, you know, as you said, you know, we produce most of our own fertilizer, but a lot of these countries in Asia and Africa specifically do not, and are perpetual majority importers of Fertilizer, and given that the two largest exporters of fertilizer in the world, which are China and Russia, have decided that they want to keep a little more of that fertilizer at home um, for a whole host of reasons, um, and given that the LNG price has gone through the roof, uh, Africa and let's say not China, not India countries like Vietnam, like Thailand, like Indonesia, like the Philippines, like you know the countries in Africa, West Africa, um, they don't have the money or the access to produce or to, to buy or and apply the kind of fertilizer that is needed to maintain production integrity that will allow themselves to produce the kind of food they need to avoid what just happened, as you said, in Sri Lanka. In Sri Lanka, they had this brilliant idea to save the world that they were going to promote organic fertilizer they outlawed non-organic fertilizer and then demanded that I think it was 30% must be used to save the world. And of course, production, uh, food production collapsed. The government was overthrown. They're involved in a revolution and a coup uh, because you can't starve the people and you, can't, you, you cannot reduce fertilizer and think that you're going to keep feeding 9 billion people or 7 million. How many people we have out there? It's not going to happen. Right. It's a pipe dream that's going to happen. And then, and then we have, I'm trying to remember exactly which country specifically it was, but somewhere in the Baltic states, Norway, I'm trying to remember who it was, but the government has put in a, a bill in place to mandate a 30% or 35% reduction in fertilizer. 
And then there was riots. The farmers rioted, and they're saying, you know, you know there's no, you know, a you're ruining our business, and and we're all going to starve to death. And and then and then in China, I mean, um, in uh, in Canada, we've seen that they're now trying to limit the usage of fertilizer by, you know, thirty percent come two thousand thirty. I'm trying to remember the exact details, but you know, we're seeing this push, Casey, of governments trying to restrict the use of fertilizer to save the world. And I don't see how they're going to save the world. All they're going to do is kill a lot of people. I don't mean to be like you know, Debbie Downer at all, and you know, but I mean that's the reality. The reality is you can't stop using fertilizer, or else huge amounts of humanitarian consequences are going to be the case. So to save the world means killing off billions of people. I'm not. I'm not sure that's going to go down very well if, if that continues to be pushed out there, Casey. I just I'm not sure exactly what's going on, but but. Bottom line with all of this, I think the first real sign of what it means to not use fertilizer, obviously Sri Lanka was the first country, but I think in, on a bigger scale, it's these Asian countries we just talked about. It's the rice production that's going to get hit this fall. When, those, when we start seeing those main harvests coming in, and we start seeing the numbers, and we start seeing the estimates saying, whoa, these, we're down 20%, we're down 15%, we're down 20 30%. You know, in certain countries, because they didn't use the fertilizer, and they had some maybe that some of the countries had some adverse weather. You know, that is a commodity you cannot do without. In fact, we've talked about this on your show many times. It has been the key glue that has kept the world from totally panicking on food because there has been uh, enough cheap available rice to offset on un, uh, uneconomical and unavailable wheat in the world. And so, if you lose that key glue. To the global food system, then then we run into a situation where what happened in Sri Lanka is going to be a domino effect elsewhere, and um, and I think that the we're going to see the really first examples of what it means to reduce fertilizer this fall when we start getting those rice numbers in, and I'm hopeful that that will be a, a strong enough message to push back on this political move to reduce this fertilizer usage, and I hope there's enough pushback from the people and the farmers that we just squash this whole concept of what's being pushed out there because if we don't, it's going to get much, much worse. Yep. So there's something like, uh, kind of the same talk, something like, uh, I can't remember the exact number of countries in Africa, but it's like 62 or 60 or 56 or 57, something like that. There's a lot. There's, there's more. a lot. There's, there's, there's a lot in there. And, but something like 65 or 70% of those countries so far this year have had a, had some sort of political unrest of, of, of some sort that, that had led to um, either a coup attempt or an actual coup somewhere in, in, in that mix. I guess, Sean, as you look at look going into 23, as you're looking at this right now, do you see any real difference in, in, in the pricing that we've seen in fertilizer? I mean, I know it's come down quite a bit from what it was going into the planting season of, of 22, but... Do you see it dropping anytime soon? Do you see it kind of staying the same? I mean, I guess, what are your thoughts there? Well, I mean, we, we, we had the spike. And remember, you correctly pointed out the U.S. really isn't in it, never really had a shortage. We just had a, uh, a panic. Yeah. But we didn't have a shortage. They had a shortage overseas, for sure. Um, and, you know, the outfit that I was with, you know, they, they actually say they have too much inventory right now fertilizer and they're trying to and they're actually not getting as much bidding as they would have liked to see but you know I, I think by the way i think that's i know that's echoed from other fertilizer companies they actually have too much product they 
I think the U.S. is in a little situation where we've come down and we'll probably could stay low here for a little while or lower for a little while. But we are at the point where farmers start to book their fertilizer for the next year. Right. And I do think that, you know, looking at the price of natural gas, where it is and where I think, it, you know, we're, we're moving into the winter time. So, you know, we have another month or two that, uh, you know, the weather's going to cool down, but it's not going to be a big deal. And we're going to go into winter time overseas and here. And I just have to believe that the U.S. price is going to spike again. <laughs> Um, and I, and I have to believe that, um, that if the fertilizer price overseas spikes again and the natural gas price overseas spikes again, and we see natural gas spike again, and we get through a little bit of this overhang as we will, I think the U S fertilizer price is going to spike again. So my concept here is I think that you, you know, uh, booking your fertilizer prices for your spring applications right now, maybe over the next you know, couple of months is a good idea. To take advantage of the lower price, I think we could get a spike into the winter, into the early spring, and then and then I think we could have a big knockoff. And you might want to be looking at buying your your summer needs in some type of a spring um, price decline. Because remember, we're talking about El Nino coming. That means big crops in South America means big crops in the U.S. And we know throughout history, the fertilizer price, at least in the U.S., follows the price of corn because corn is such a huge consumer of fertilizer. So if the price of corn is going to have a knockdown, you know, into the spring and into the early summer, then I would think that you're going to get a better opportunity to buy your summer application at that point. So I think you need to be looking at your fertilizer purchases in a two-pronged strategy. Try to get some bought here on this dip before the wintertime and try to get your summer application on a post-winter knockdown in fertilizer prices, natural gas prices. I think that probably would be a good strategy to be considering if you're thinking, if you're a farmer thinking about what should I be doing fertilizer, I think that's a pretty reasonable strategy to be looking at right now. Right on. All right. So, with you, what, with what, the can't talk here this morning. With what you see <laughs> coming down the pike, and you know the Glassberg cycles and, and the going from El Nino to La Nina and all those kind of things. When you're looking at those things, how are you positioning? Like what you said with your customers, how 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 much more important is fertilizer going to be with that changes that we see happening versus what we see happening now? Well, remember, you know, if if our if our weather forecast or price forecast is correct, next spring uh, next spring summer is going to be the major low. The one we're in now is, as we talked about, is an intermediate low. Maybe it gives us a couple of two three months of of rebound. We're starting to see that already. It's not a major low in our opinion, but the major, major low is next summer, spring, summer. Mm -hmm. And that's where you could get the bottom, you know, in the fertilizer price. Whatever that price is going to be, you're going to get that opportunity to buy very, very cheap fertilizer. Because what's, what always happens, Casey, is when you start and you, so let's say I'm correct and 24 is, we, we start developing this crazy drought cycle and we get $12 corn. Everyone in the world going to go plant corn i'll plant corn up behind in my backyard i'll plant it <laughs> right right yeah and and so and so so even though i think we could have a two-year drought by the way which but 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 the but the world is going to max out corn acres because the price is going to tell them to do so and you know if they do that then they're going to have to Max out fertilizer, fertilizer usage, and if they get to have twelve dollar corn, they can afford the fertilizer usage. Right. Um, so you, you you don't want to go into that twenty four twenty five. And remember, um, you know t that 
that two-year period in 26, you don't want to go into there not having your, it's just like sitting back in 2020 when we had the pandemic lows, right? Right. You had an opportunity to buy, you know, a couple of years out and, that, and, 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 and that was a, you know, windfall after all the weather problems that we had and everything else and the price took off. I see a similar opportunity next spring, summer to really buy the long-term. What I just described earlier is more of a shorter-term strategy to kind of wiggle around in the, in the current crop year. But the bigger strategy is to get your, a couple of years out. And so when you're selling $12 corn, your input cost is extremely low, relatively low fertilizer price. You know, and, and that's really going to be the key to a farmer making money is you have to, most of the time you have to book your inputs at a different time than you book your corn price to really make the margin. If, if we talked about the toothpaste, mm-hmm. you know, concept where, you know, the industry says, you know, we're going to take, we're going to take 80 to percent of the toothpaste, no matter how big it is. So before you're going to get this and we're going to, now if the toothpaste gets bigger, we're still going to take 80% of the bigger toothpaste. The farmer really never gets that much more of it unless he's been able to lock in that input cost and not eat that input cost on the way up. Because if, if the corn price goes up, the seed price goes up, the, input, the cash rents go up, the fertilizer price, everything goes up. And then you wind up saying, gee, at the $10 corn, I'm not making a lot of money because the industry just takes it away from you. I'm yeah. not here to say that's good or bad or indifferent. That's just the way the industry operates. You know, we, we could argue that there's something wrong with that. But I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to say that's how it is, and, and, it, and it doesn't look like it's going to change. So if it, that's the way it is, it's not going to change. You have to just make sure you can maneuver within that so that you as a farmer can make money. Right. And the way you do that is you buy your fertilizer in, your, 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 in, in, this, in, the, in the summer of 2020, and you book it as far out as it'll let you. And that's how, that's how you, you know, get the economic advantage. But you have to have a... You have to have a, an ability to see what's coming. You know, you have to have the ability to to, to to be able to see the kind of weather that's coming, or the you know, and that's what we try to do here, Casey. That's why we were so big on it, making these one or two or three year forecasts, um, and trying to you know get get a pretty good idea. You know, nothing's perfect, but get a pretty good idea of the pathway that we're going to take. Because if you have a good enough idea of the general pathway that we're heading into, you can make some good longer term decisions. Without that. You're, you're going to just continue to always struggle um, in reacting to the market instead of being proactive to the market. And we're always trying to be proactive if we can with the stuff that we do. So. Right on. Okay. R- real quick, kind of close it up here. You follow the rice to wheat ratio quite a bit and what that looks like. As you're looking at it now, Sean, what are your, what are your thoughts there? Well, I mean, the, the wheat price has crashed. Mm-hmm. And the rice price hasn't moved down at all. <coughs> so... Um, that means that the ratio has improved, right? I lost you there, Casey. I'm still here. Oh, okay. Um, so, so, so we were at a record low rice price relative to wheat price when wheat was up at that 13 to 14 area. Now that we're around the 8 area, we're, we were at like 1.35 to 1, meaning that rice was trading, you know, at only... Uh, 1.35 times wheat at when wheat was outside. That was a, a record low. And so the wheat price has crashed. Now we're at two to one, roughly two to one. <coughs> Historically, two is still on the low side of the range. Usually the average is two and a half. And Bryce can very, very regularly get to three times wheat 
when it gets overpriced relative to wheat. So our view was that even if the wheat price crashed, we thought that the, the rice price was so undervalued that it, it would still be able to withstand that and not really fall much. And it's exactly what's happened. I mean, wheat, rice is not far off from the highs. So if we're correct that the grain prices are bottomed and the wheat price is bottomed and the wheat price is going to start to go up, and we're correct about Asian rice production being under pressure as we go into the fall, we could have a situation where now the rice price begins to at least maintain that ratio, meaning it won't give it back, and it's possible that it could actually add to that ratio. So the sweet spot for the rice price could be this period from right now into the fall, into the fourth quarter, when it, when it, when it has a real reason to expand on its, uh, on its price relative to wheat. And uh, so, so we think that the rice price is on the verge of repricing to a different ratio, not only to wheat, by the way, but to all of the grain markets. And so we think this is still an interesting place, and, uh, and we're kind of um, gratified <coughs> that uh, the rice price did not fall like everything else, and, it, and it, it, it validated the reason why we thought it was one of the few places that there was value in the grain markets when we were at the highs. So, so, so looking at, so you're you're thinking that the rice price is going to extremely go up in price. Is that is that where you're at? Well, well, well let's just say, let's just say that you know, let's say I'm correct that the grain prices have a a fifty percent retracement of the of of the decline. You know, something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, so if if we went from, let's just make it easy. If we went from 14 to 8, which is, you know, I know it's not quite, but say 14 to 8. So, you know, that's uh, an 8-point decline. So, so let's say wheat goes up 3 or $4. You know, let's say back to that $10, $11 area, which is resistance on the charts. And let's just say that rice maintains the 2 to 1 ratio that it's at right now. Just maintains the ratio. Then, you know, you would have rice $20 plus on the U.S. price. What it, but if we, let's say we moved up to two and a half times ratio, you know, we could see we back in the mid-20s, which was the highs that were set a few years back and the highs that were set back in 2008. So, so I, I just feel that the rice market was a huge underperformer on that big move up into February and into the spring. Okay. And usually when the next iteration comes, there's a new leader. Okay. Right. It, it, Somebody takes over as the leader, and who was the leader takes a back seat. And and usually what usually what happens, they talk to, call it the dogs of the Dow. Used the strategy was that whatever the worst five performers were in in the Dow Jones Industrial Average in one year, if you bought them the following year, they would outperform the other Dow members uh, the following year just because they underperformed the year prior. I mean that, that's been, that was a strategy that people deployed for years fairly successfully. And so my view would be given that. Rice was the dog of grains in the in the first move up. It could easily be the leader, and I think that the catalyst and the and the reasoning for it is the two things we've discussed: this realization that fer- lack of fertilizer usage is not going to cut it this fall, and El Nino means drought in Asia. Yeah, and drought in Asia with a lack of fertilizer. Remember, we're going to talk about that this pasture was not drought in Asia; they had plenty of moisture. But if we get knockdowns in, in yields in Asia because of lack of fertilizer, and now you talk about a drought and lack of fertilizer, you know, we could have another knockdown in production significantly for the next crop cycle unless there's a dramatic change in price and access to fertilizer in that period of time. So I think there's a couple of really interesting catalysts that's going to 
allow the rice price to really outperform other grain markets and um, and reestablish its price level to a level that can begin to maintain or, or put back in the correct economics to get production going again. Right on. Interesting stuff, Sean. That's uh, the... Uh It'll be interesting to watch how this goes because this is going to be one of those uh, key functional times in in history here as to what happens worth what and and uh, the rest of the world doesn't have the ability to produce what the way the United States does when it comes to agricultural production and like you've talked about throwing one little kink out there into that that system has a pretty big ripple effect across the entire world's agricultural market space well you you, you know for, for for whatever reason you know the u.s is extraordinarily fortunate that we if we want <laughs> if we want you know we have enough energy we could produce enough energy here if we wanted to do it we could produce all the energy we needed uh we have the ability to produce all the food we need we have the ability to produce most of the fertilizer we need you know we're very very fortunate that uh you know we have enough for natural gas to produce all that we need um, we, you know, Europe does not have enough energy to produce what they need. Uh, That's in the background right there. It's crazy. <laughs> China does not have enough energy or food to, to yeah. satisfy their country. You know, most countries are not in the position where they're self-sufficient in these key inputs that are critical for human humanity's survival. And, and, and that's what's really, that's what's really disturbing about breaking apart the global agricultural system we had a system where everyone trusted everybody everyone was funding everybody and everyone was was taking from places that had enough to places that didn't have enough and we were keeping everybody overall taken care of yep. but now that we're getting into this situation where no one's trusting anybody everybody hates everybody we're all going to war with everybody and we're now withholding supplies from everybody no one can trust that they're going to get it from everybody you know, we're now breaking down this global trade system and now those are countries that don't have enough are really against it. And yep. the Sri Lanka is a, is a clear, classic example of something we're going to see more and more unless we can put this genie back in the bottle. And, and interesting, on this presentation we did yesterday, Casey, we, we go through what's called a civil unrest war cycle. Um, it's a 53.5-year cycle, and you talked about you know, how Africa is going through these you know, escalating... Uh, civil unrest and coups, um, and uh, I don't know why this cycle exists. I just know that we went back 300 years and found that that this war cycle and civil unrest cycle is repeats over and over again. It just seems like maybe the way the the, the world functions, we just hate each other every 53.5 years. I don't know what it is, but that cycle reaches a crescendo in 2026, meaning we're in an escalating civil unrest war cycle that cr hits a crescendo in 2026 and periods of war whether it's world war one world war two whether it was the civil war whether it was you know the, the um vietnam war you know you could go down the list um have always meant uh, significant dislocations of trade flows significant government interventions uh and escalation of wars and significant inflation in food prices bar none um it's not a forecast that we're excited about because it means what happened in Sri Lanka, which is extremely unfortunate, might ha is going to happen elsewhere. But that's the cycle, and 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 
people have to be aware that these cycles repeat over and over and over and over. And, and it's just interesting that, you know, now we have Russia going into Ukraine. Now we have Taiwan and China. You can almost feel that we're, we're moving into this cycle again, Casey. You could just, you feel that we're escalating into something bigger here. And, um, it, you know, my job is to always look out for the farmer, for the producer, and try to give him the best ability to move forward. Because at the end of the day, uh, we need a healthy, prosperous farmer to keep producing food everywhere in the world to mitigate some of these risks that we're talking about. And if we're going to have an escalation of currency inflation, weather inflation, weather volatility inflation, and geopolitical civil unrest war inflation, they need to know that. Right. Because they need to know not to sell the first dollar up in corn in 2024 and to let it run like they sold $4 corn in late 2020. They need to be able to gain that economic advantage and keep producing that food because you know, we desperately need all hands on deck to, make, to, to mitigate some of these unfortunate risks that, for whatever reason, humanity seems to go through over and over again. Yep. So. Right on. Uh, well, good stuff as usual, Sean. Folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what it is, what it is you're doing at Hackett Financial. What's the best way to do that? Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. We have TV interviews, podcasts, white papers, sample reports. We even have mouse pads. No, just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so for everyone to take a look at what we do to see if we could be of value to our listeners. You could have like the bushel to metric ton ratios on stuff like that on your, uh, on your, on your uh, mouse pad. Right on. There are 54 countries in Africa, by the way. I just I Googled it. It's a lot. But that's it's according lot to, to the UN, so who knows if that's accurate or not. So Yeah. It's, it, when you look at a map of Africa, you just you wonder how the whole thing works. It's amazing. Yeah, it is. It is quite amazing. Yeah, so It is. I am Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Go at Moving Iron LLC. Go to LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast and check out the video version of this on the Moving Iron LLC well, the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. Check it out there. Um, I, my friend Alex Shachenko has made it back from uh, Ukraine. He's here for a couple more months, and he's going to go back over to Ukraine. So uh, I talked to him yesterday, posted a picture uh, of him. So if you're interested in helping Alex uh, continue his uh, humanitarian aid efforts, there's a show link here to his GoFundMe page, or you can just go to GoFundMe itself and help Alex uh, go to Help Alex transport humanitarian aid from Poland to Ukraine. So check that out there. If you want more information about the Moving Iron Podcast, go to movingironllc.com, where you can find everything Moving Iron related. Uh, if you want to come to the Moving Iron Summit, that is drastically uh, uh, waning there. We've got about, uh, there's about, uh, I think, about 10, 10 or 12 spots left open. So if you're interested in doing that, hit me up at Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com and I'll get you more information or just fill out the form there in the upper left hand, upper right hand corner where it says Moving Iron Summit. Check that out there. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour and with Sean Hackett. Let's go with some iron folks. Out. Axon Tire is going to have more tips, tricks, and client advice throughout the year and in September at the Moving Iron Summit in Nashville. If you're looking to sign up for the event, please head over to movingironllc.com. We hope to see you there. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 or go to valleytransitinc.com for all of your trucking needs. 
At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. And no matter how you buy ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Ooh, and I in the 21st century.